Welcome to episode 34 of Contested Catch. I'm your host, Will Lever. We're back here again, and boy, do we have a show for you. First, we're joined by our co-host and data specialist, Jeff Gould. As usual, Jeff, how are you, my friend? Uh, doing same as when we talked earlier today, Will. <laughs> That's Fantastic. good. Fantastic. If you didn't catch episode 33, go check it out. It's posted live, as usual, in the usual spots. But folks, today we have a very special guest, someone I'm so excited to welcome to Contessa Catch for the first time, and that is the Establish the Run co-founder and fantasy football rock star, Evan Silva. Welcome, Evan, and how are you? Will, Jeff, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing real well. Um, ready to talk some ball with you guys. Awesome. We are looking forward to it as well. And uh, let's get to it. First up, wanted to talk about some season-long draft strategy uh, specifically around the running back landscape in 2020. And I'm going to kick it over to Jeff. All right. Thanks, Will. So, I mean, 2019, the zero RB strategy, basically, unless you drafted Austin Eckler, was a bust. And this year, like looking at early ADPs, we see 30 running backs going in the first five rounds. And it's been dubbed like the year of robust RB. Um, but and there's, there's still... Because of that, now, like, the zero RB crowd is, like, uh, this is making the case for zero RB stronger than ever when you can go Mike Thomas, Julio Jones, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Odell Beckham in the first four rounds. So, uh, you know, there's – then you have, like, three-time high-stakes IC champ, Drake Jordan, coming out and saying, you know, the zero RB strategy has one single purpose, to take three to four teams out of playoff contention in every league before the fantasy season even starts. <laughs> legend, legend. Uh, uh, he's fantastic. But then noted kicker analyst Denny Carter says that, uh, no, zero RB isn't just a strategy, it's a way of life. So we really wanted to hear like where you fall on the, like, the two opposite ends of the spectrum that seem to be more polarizing than ever this season. Yeah, so I mean, the approach that I personally take most often is to pretty much just let the draft itself dictate how I'm going to draft. So I'm pretty much sticking to my rankings and keeping my eye on, on ADPs in the first couple of rounds. And instead of forcing forcing a strategy from the beginning of the draft, I like to let those first few rounds dictate how I'm approaching rounds four or five and so on. Um, and I'm totally fine drafting three running backs in the first three rounds. Uh, I'm fine taking two backs and a wide receiver one. I'm fine taking an elite tight end, a wide receiver one, and an RB one. And then I build my roster out from there. But I would say that this year, the running back thirst is greater than ever. So you're making it a lot tougher on yourself this year if you don't come out of the first three rounds with at least one running back. Uh, and if you don't force a running back inside those first three rounds, then I think that you just go full on zero RB and you open your draft with like four or five receivers and an elite tight end, and then you take a bunch of uh, middle and late round running backs and playing a really lean heavily on the waiver wire. Um, it's super, super contrarian this year to, to be going zero RB. I think that people still confuse this too. Like they don't totally understand what zero RB means. It's not opening your draft with, oh, I took back-to-back -to -back wide receivers to open my draft or even three wide receivers in a row. It's opening your draft with four to six receivers in an elite tight end and then stockpiling those middle and late round running backs that have a chance to hit like or at least have a chance to get you by until you figure out a running back off the waiver wire. Damian Williams, uh, I think, is a good one. Uh, Marlon Mack, I think, is a good one. Alexander Madison, Chase Edmonds, Tony Pollard. Um, 
And then, you know, finding, trying to find from those middle and late round picks and from the work that you do on the waiver wire, you're trying to find two or three backup type breakout backs. And then you're trying to build a super team with your absolute stacked uh, receiver core and your stud tight end. You know, that's really what zero RB is trying to capitalize on the fragility of the running back position, you know, sort of not rooting for injuries, but understanding there's a chance that, look, we have 21 running backs going in the, the first 36 picks uh, on FFPC ADP. That's almost 60% of the, of the first three rounds are being devoted to the running back position. And, you know, some of those guys start getting injured early in the year, or Dalvin Cook holds out or, you know, what have you, somebody gets suspended. All of a sudden, you know, a lot of people are taking hits in those early rounds and you're capitalizing on that because you're, you're, you're getting their, those guys backups or maybe you already drafted them. Uh, but that's really what zero RB is. I love that. It's, it's not just, you know, not giving into the fragility of running backs, but truly anti-fragile because you capitalize on yep. the, the biggest weakness of robust RB. Yeah. I mean, and I think one of the reasons that like robust RB is taking off this year is because there's so many running backs that are like profiling as the workhorse RB ones that we haven't had for the last few years, which like, um, at the team level in the NFL, the fact that there haven't been those workhorses made the position almost like uh, less fragile because all right, if your RB1 goes down, you still kind of have like a bullpen to pick up the like, slack. But now that there are so many more workhorses, like you said, you take advantage of that. So when they do go down, you actually have a workhorse to plug in instead of just like the lead back of the committee. Yeah, well said. Evan, so post-draft, let's say, you know, we're a couple weeks into the season and maybe one of your guys, a guy that you felt really strongly about uh, going into the season is struggling, not getting the opportunity you expected. This is just a general season-long perspective question, but how long do you wait on players and what's your strategy for dealing with slow starts? I mean, I think that you ride it out if the guy is struggling from an efficiency standpoint and still getting the volume. Um and then if, you know, we go two or three games where the guy's just not getting the volume that you anticipated, you have to severely check your expectations for that player and start adjusting accordingly uh, with regard to your roster. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, last thing on overall 2020 strategy, what's a big mistake you want to steer our listeners away from this season? Well, I think that one of the biggest mistakes that, that people make in drafts is probably just feeling like they have to draft a starting lineup rather than draft stables of players. So let's say someone plays in a league where you start one running back, I'm sorry, one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, one tight end and a flex. Uh, people that are drafting their starting lineup uh, will very often come out of those first eight picks, which just filling each of those slots. Like they'll start with two running backs and they'll be like, Oh, and now I need to draft receivers now. And then, Oh, I need to mix in a tight end. And, Oh, now I need to draft my flex. And um, even if they know that they should wait on quarterbacks in these types of drafts, they say to themselves, Oh, I have my starting lineup filled out. Now I need to draft my quarterback in the eighth round. And in that approach, there is way too little emphasis on uh, filling the flex and the quarterback and the tight end were probably overdrafted uh, because you were just drafting a starting lineup. You weren't really, you know, using any real measures of value or, or looking really at ADP, you were just trying to draft your starters. And the wide receivers probably aren't all that great either because you didn't start drafting until the third round. Um, 
So you're really not maximizing anything when you are just drafting to fill out your starting lineup. But I think that some people almost have a natural inclination to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Random question for you here, Evan. If you had to add a sport to the Summer Olympics that could only be played through Skype or Zoom or whatever video chat, what would it be and who would be your head coach for the United States team? <laughs> Jeffrey, <laughs> you, you want to take this one first, man? <laughs> oh, man. Um, rock, paper, scissors. And uh, we'll just get noted uh, football analyst Ben Baldwin here to <laughs> coach our team on the probabilities and game theory. Okay, and I will go with – is ping pong already a sport at the Summer Olympics? It is. It is? It is, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Mine, would be, uh, mine would be competitive staring contest, and of, there's really no question about who the head coach would be. It would be Adam Gase. Oh, actually, you know what a good one would be? Um, those guys who, like, slap each other's faces. <laughs> Oh, those. <laughs> you ever seen that? That's Psychos. hilarious. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then they just keep getting back up after getting knocked out, and then yeah. a little smelling salt here. And then uh, head coach. I mean, Bill Belichick. Because I just I can't think of a better head coach for you know of anything. Yeah, he would just take uh you know the first stringer and roll him off to the side, put put in the next guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right, so shifting gears a little bit, Evan being a Chicago guy. Um, we're going to talk bears first. And first question here is does Nick Foles win the job in Chicago? And if we knew right now that he did, does that change the way you see Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, Anthony Miller, anyone on that offense? Um, well, first of all, I think that Nick Foles hundred percent should be the bears week one starter. I think the kind of, the ship has kind of sailed on Mitchell Trubisky. I think he doesn't have the confidence of his coach even, uh, at this point. And they have, almost refused to use him in a way that would be the best way to use Mitchell Trubisky. And that would be just run, run him hardcore, you know, let him scramble, call design, design runs for him. And they have not done that since really like the first few games of his, um, of his second season, ever since he, he suffered the shoulder injury. And I think it was October or November of 2018. And he just really has not been a runner since then with, you know, very uh, sporadic exceptions. Um, and I, Nick Foles, I mean, everybody in the coaching staff knows him. Matt Nagy knows him from KC. John Filippo knows him from Philly and Jacksonville. Bill Lazor knows him. So um, from uh, Philadelphia, he was the uh, he was on staff uh, for that, that huge Nick Foles year under Chip Kelly, um, where I think he had 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. But that familiarity with the coaching staff, I think, is going to go a long way for him. But I mean, individually, you know, I think you could very realistically call Nick Foles the best quarterback Allen Robinson has ever played with and say that like with definitiveness almost. Robinson's uh, quarterbacks in college were Matt McGloin and Christian Hackenberg and the vast, vast, vast majority of his NFL catches have come from a combination of Blake Bortles and Mitchell Trubisky. Um, I love Allen Robinson this year. I actually just hiked him big time uh, in our rankings uh, after doing our Bears team preview, just just absolutely fell in love with them, fell in love with the schedule, fell in love with the quarterback upgrade. Um, you know, he's in a contract year. I mean, he's just got a lot of factors kind of working in his favor. I mean, you know, he's at the, in, in, in his absolute athletic prime. Um, and then for, as for David Montgomery, I think that Nick Foles doesn't really help him. I think that David Montgomery, what he needs is he needs to carve out a bigger passing game role. 
uh, and pull targets away from Tariq Cohen. He needs offensive line to play more like it, it was in 2018 when it was a pretty good group. And then all of a sudden in 2019, it fell apart. Um, and David Montgomery also needs to stop running into the backs of his blockers. Uh, so those are the issues, I think, for David Montgomery, less the quarterback situation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the hopes is that without Taylor Gabriel, that Tariq Cohen might fill more of a slot role, which I think he's a better fit for. I think he's just kind of a disaster in the backfield. And he's, um, unfortunate because he's so talented, but uh, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one thing, one position group we didn't cover there was which of the Bears 17 tight ends are you most excited about in 2020? <laughs> um I mean, it's got to be Cole Komet, right? Because we're not betting on Jimmy Graham. The Ben Broniker ship appears to have sailed. And um, Trey Burton is gone. So, I mean, I have, I, I have no expectations for Cole Komet. He's a rookie tight end, probably sharing time in a bad offense. But uh, I think he would be the best option if you're going to, you know, if you're trying to draft your, your tight end six, you know, you know in a 60-round uh, fantasy draft. I think the Bears GM would probably have six tight ends uh, on his fantasy team. On, on a similar topic to Dave Montgomery as a potential post-type sleeper, we know where you stand on him, but uh, is David Johnson a post-type sleeper? Obviously, shifting gears over to the Texans now. Um, he looked pretty good in the first six games. I mean, he, he wasn't bad. He was pretty good in fantasy. He made some plays downfield in the passing game in those first games. Mm -hmm. He gets hurt. Um, you know, the back injury, the recurring back injury is, I think, terrifying. Um, he really hasn't been the same player, I think, in terms of ex explosiveness, although he has had flashes. Uh, he has not been the same player in terms of explosiveness since, what, 2016? I mean, that, that was a long time ago. Um, I, I like Duke Johnson better. Um, and so David Montgomery is, look, he's a guy that I might, you know, hold my nose and draft in the sixth round after – you know, if, if I come out of the first five with maybe like one RB and, you know, uh, three really high quality pass catchers. But, um, you know, he's he's just a, a purely a volume grab. Doesn't really have a ton of receiving upside either because Duke is there and Deshaun Watson really doesn't check down. So you're relying on a, a lot of like rushing attempts from David Johnson, who that's not his strength as a player. It's never it's never been a strength as a player interior running. And this offensive line doesn't look like it's going to be great either. So. Just purely a volume, low end RB two with you know pretty bad downside uh, in the sixth round. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with it. I like the talent of Duke Johnson, especially at this point in their career, a lot better. Um, I think you know my concern is like Bill O'Brien is going to just try and justify this absolutely egregious trade and like try and force David Johnson into being good and like show everyone hey it wasn't that bad of a trade but like i completely agree on the like talent of duke johnson just being superior right now wish he would have tried to justify the duke johnson trade last year yeah no kidding no kidding jeff and i were both big buyers in that situation and uh just the fit in houston but it didn't quite come to fruition um Speaking of Duke Johnson's former team, the Cleveland Browns, I'm going to kick it over to Jeff uh, and talk about that offensive line situation now. Sure. So, I mean, last year, like, offensive line in Cleveland just wasn't good. Like, the interior OL was fine, but the tackles were just a mess. So, they go out and they sign um, Conklin away from Tennessee, and then they draft, uh, draft for the left tackle. So, 
I mean, I'm looking at it for both, you know, Baker Mayfield's efficiency. Uh, he really kind of got like scared feet last year, but also in the running game with Nick Chubb, like, I mean, Conklin was a huge part of Derrick Henry's success along with the addition of Roger Saffold. So like, especially on the running side in the NFL, we say running backs don't matter because it's pretty much so much of it's from the offensive line. So how much do we, do we need to, if at all, upgrade Nick Chubb? And, you know, are we looking at the Browns almost as like a post-hype team period because of the offensive line situation and coaching? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that if you're talking about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, uh, you know, in this same backfield, look, I like the way that the Browns are, are building. They're, they're building a really physical football team. They signed Jack Conklin. Their, their biggest move in free agency was to sign Jack Conklin. Their biggest move in the draft was to draft Jedrick Wills. Uh, so they are serious about this, uh, upgrading this offensive line, which John Dorsey just, I mean, he was irresponsible what he put on the field last year with, um, you know, relying on trading away Kevin Zeitler because he thought that Austin Corbett, who was no longer even with the Browns, could, could fill in, um, you know, starting Greg Robinson at left tackle, um, Chris Hubbard at right tackle. Like that was truly irresponsible. And I think that it did contribute to Baker Mayfield's sort of happy feel in the pocket get that tendency to drift to his right, um, which just became so detrimental. Um, but I like the way that they're building. Um, you know, they, they signed Austin Hooper. They're going to play a lot of 12 and 13 personnel with two and three tight ends on the field. They drafted um, Harrison Bryant in the fourth round, uh, the Mackey Award winner. Um, but I, I think that Kareem Hunt is going to be more involved in the running game than he was last year. And I really worry about his effect on Nick Chubb in the passing game because it was it was catastrophic last season. Um, Nick Chubb was on pace for 50 catches, which would have been a great, great number for him until Kareem Hunt came back. And then he had 16 catch or, and then he had, um, he finished with 36 catches. So he, and his targets went from four per game to two per game, just cut, cut his targets in half. Um, so I, like, I really like Nick Chubb, you know, very willing to take him like in the middle of the second round, he never makes it there. Um, and I'm, I haven't really gotten very much of Kareem Hunt either, although he's sort of like been in my range, like I almost got him a bunch. Um, so, I mean, I just, you know, Kareem Hunt is going to be a drain on Nick Chubb. Yeah, I mean, I've also seen a little bit where uh, Kareem Hunt could possibly function as their wide receiver three with like without a ton of depth between Odell and Jarvis, plus though in that Jarvis is recovering from like hip surgery that um, we can see a lot of 21 where, or 22 where Hunt is like actually operating more as a receiver. But yeah, I mean, I definitely understand the concern of how like, you know, Chuck won't see the workload to be a, you know, that RB one you want. Moving forward from the, from last year's most hyped offseason team to this year's, the Arizona Cardinals, um, Evan, are they this year's Browns or, or last year's Browns or are they legit? Um, yeah, I was actually just doing the, uh, just writing up the Cardinals win total, uh, for, uh, establish the run, which it's at seven right now, uh, at DraftKings. And I, I, I said that I would either bet the over or I'll just avoid the bet altogether. I don't think there was any sort of value on the under at seven. Um, they went three and five and one in one score games last year. I think they're due for some, some fortunate, you know, mean regression. Um, I like the fact that they are maintaining continuity at both coordinators and head coach. Uh, this is Kyler Murray's second year. 
Uh, that's where we've seen recently highly drafted quarterbacks make their biggest leaps. Um, they added DeAndre Hopkins, obviously. On defense, they have uh, potential marquee players at every level up front. They got Chandler Jones. Uh, at the second level, they have Jordan Hicks. They drafted Isaiah Simmons. Uh, Patrick Peterson is back in, uh, from that suspension. Buda Baker in the secondary. I think they, they expect Byron Murphy, who was a really high pick last year, to take a, a second-year leap. They paid uh, pretty decent money to get Jordan Phillips, who had 10 sacks with the Bills last year, big 330-pound um, defensive lineman. Uh, so they're not my favorite win total to bet, but if I was going to bet them, um, I, I would definitely lean toward betting the over. I don't think that they're going to be a four to six win team. I think that they will be more of like a, a seven to eight win team. I think everyone is excited taking a look at the skill position group at what Kyler Murray could do in his second year. Um, just with the Konami code and how obviously dynamic he is as a runner, but also the the strides it looked like he took uh, as the season went on. Now that's with so much pressure in his face to, to uh, a fault. He was scrambling and, and taking sacks um, deep in the backfield. But, you know, with, with how much they run four wide and a pretty dynamic backfield next to Kyler, is, is there any interest in Christian Kirk for you this year or another wide receiver not named DeAndre Hopkins? Or is this kind of just too spread out uh, to be interested in? No, I, I like Christian Kirk a lot. Um, Christian Kirk, uh, I think, was really starting to come on before he started to get banged up last year. Um, you know, he's the guy with the rapport, the established rapport uh, with, Ky you know, with Kyler Murray. I mean, I think it could be a situation sort of like last year when Odell Beckham was changing teams. He goes to the Browns and, you know, he is being drafted as a top five fantasy receiver, which DeAndre Hopkins still is. And, um, you know, the guy with the established rapport with the quarterback, who was Jarvis Landry, had a great, great year. And I think that Christian Kirk could kind of be that. Um, have that same effect in Arizona. I think that he's going to be playing a lot of slot this year, more slot because DeAndre Hopkins is going to be their primary perimeter receiver in the four receiver sets, which they use on 33% of their snaps last year. Um, you know, I think that in those four receiver sets, we're going to see Kirk and Kirk and uh, Fitzgerald, I think, in the slot. And that that's going to give a lot of high percentage opportunities for Christian Kirk. Um, I think that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be the guy that, that disappoints and um, Christian Kirk is the guy that is going to outkick his ADP. Yeah, I like that. Um, obviously, a really talented player who has seemed like he's been on the cusp of it. All right, switching gears here. Uh, Evan, if you knew you were going back into quarantine for, let's say, 30 days and you could only bring one book and one movie with you, what would they be? Um, one book. I guess... Uh, this book that I haven't finished because it's so long, it's called Helter Skelter. It's about like uh, the Charlie Manson murders. And it's like, it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, I've been trying to, I read like a, a big mafia book also, you know, I've, I've been trying to really get my read on during the quarantine, but I did not, I have not finished the, that one. So um, I guess I, I would probably try to finish that. And then for, for uh, a movie, man, I don't know. I like uh, Gangs of New York and haven't seen it in about like five years. So I probably need to rewatch that. What a good movie. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, stacked cast. Uh, all right. I like it. So shifting back to fantasy here, Steven Sims, Redskins slot wide receiver, snuck onto the radar with a strong finish 
2019. How serious are you taking this guy? Could he be the next Victor Cruz type player that we see kind of come out of nowhere, undrafted free agent, uh, and really thrive in the slot as an undersized receiver? I think he's got a shot just because they didn't add anybody and now he's going to get an opportunity and he flourished in his opportunity. He really, really finished last season fast. And um, he was the second most targeted player on the team behind Terry McLaurin from Dwayne Haskins last year. So they've got, uh, you know, a little bit of a built-in rapport. Steven Sims was uh, more of like a, a return guy uh, in college and, um, they were looking at him as a return guy before he was forced into slot work. I don't think he's going to have any problem um, shaking off Trey Quinn, who just really didn't show enough last year. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that McLaurin's, you know, he's going to be the, the the deep threat and the big play specialist on the perimeter. And Steve Smith, Steven Sims, Steven Sims, um, <laughs> you know, could be the guy that catches five balls a game. You know, I mean, why, why can't he fill that sort of Jamison Crowder role? I think he can. Yeah, we uh, we have a DFS model model and lineup generator here that Jeff's been working tirelessly on to improve since the end of uh, 2019. And Jeff has a pretty funny story about Steven Sims and an egregious mistake he made here. <laughs> Let's hear it. Yeah, so so I, I started this um, for school project. I was working on like a projection model and then um, using like the NFL scraper play-by-play -play data. And then from there, creating a DraftKings lineup generator. So I finished that up and then decided to actually try it weeks like 14, 15, 16. And I think it was week 16, uh, Steven Sims, like he had a pretty solid projection from it. And I was told he showed up like probably a third, like 50 out of the 150 lineups or so. And I didn't even think he was a real person. So I just went into like the projections, manually um, adjusted his projections down. So he probably showed up in like 10 to 15 of them instead of like a third. And, and then he went off for, you know, uh, 80 something yards and two touchdowns, scored like 26 points. And I could have had him in a third of my lineups, but because I just like legitimately wasn't even sure he was a real player, had like two lineups <laughs> with him. Yeah. How much you want for that model? Oh, um, it was being um, kind of like troubleshooted and uh, back tested nice. right now, but he can get in touch with uh, you and Mike about it once I All have right. more of a finished right. product about it. We're uh, we're both Rochester guys, as is Mike, apparently. Oh yeah, Leone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a, he's a Bills fan, but he's not. He's he, he try to. I think he tries to like avoid the Bills mafia because he thinks <laughs> that's hot. It, you know? For whatever reason, I mean, it has some sort of reputation. I'm not really sure about. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, we're really excited about that that DFS model and lineup generator this year. Um, the back testing has been very interesting. You know, we would have popped very highly on the Mini Max and Millie Maker um, Week Five with Will Fuller, um, and the and the other lineups that that uh, he was a part of. So that's exciting. Um, another question for you here, Evan. This is probably I don't know. At least that I've noticed the guy that you are the highest above uh, consensus on. In, in terms of like top th uh, three round players, Calvin Ridley, is it officially Calvin Ridley season? I think so. I think so. I mean, I think that the Falcons are going to the heck out of the ball this year. Um, they play 11 of 15 uh, fantasy relevant games indoors. Uh, their defense is bad. They have the toughest schedule in the league. Um, you know, they're changing out uh, their tight end. Their third receiver is Russell Gage. 
Uh, Julio is 31. You know, he might be starting to uh, you know head toward the back nine. So I think that Calvin Ridley, I think his floor is really high, and I think that his upside is really high. And those are the kind of players that I want to pick. You know, that that's a player that I'm willing to reach a little bit for. Is a guy that I think has a great, great floor and a great, great ceiling. Because even if he, you know, finishes as wide receiver 15, um, you know, and I took him at wide receiver eight or wide receiver nine, like he's not going to hurt me that much, you know. And then I think he's got top five wide receiver one upside if kind of everything comes together for him. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good narrative around him. Um, Jeff and I have struggled a little bit with him. Not neither of us were that big on him as a prospect. Um mm-hmm. He's not, you know, this overwhelming athlete like the guy opposite of him. But one thing I just saw that came out today from uh, Matt Harmon on Twitter, reception perception, of course, uh, is is how frequently he wins against man coverage, which is a really good indicator for someone who uh, is just hashtag good at the game. You know, we see guys on there like Stephon Diggs, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, Terry McLaurin's on there. Curtis Samuel in 2018 was on there. So good stuff there on Calvin Ridley. Last on on these types of fantasy related questions here, um, you know we've heard your praise of Jimmy G for as a twenty twenty breakout candidate, long shot MVP bet, and we know how good the recently extended uh, Kyle Shanahan is. How high is Debo Samuel's ceiling in twenty twenty as the presumed wide receiver one in this offense? And is Jalen Hurd on your radar as a late round sleeper still? Yes, on Jalen Hurd, um, and love it with Debo Samuel. Man, I don't know. I look at him like every day in my rankings or in my tiers and I'm like, you know, should I jack him up or, you know, is he is he good where he is? And um, I think he's right around wide receiver 25, I want to say. And um, man, I don't know. I, I really struggle with what is his actual ceiling. He's I think he's going to be the best like rushing receiver, which I would not overlook. He could add two points per game to his totals via rushing this year. Um, and then, you know, how many targets he's, is he going to get? George Kittle is a lot healthier this year than, he's, than he was last year because he was really, really banged up this year, last year. Um, and then Brandon Ayuk, who they traded up for in the first round, I think that he will be an upgrade sooner rather than later on Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with Debo Samuel. I'm, I'm going to be honest about that. Um, but I, t- for me, like Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle is going to be Whenever I get George Kittle in the second round, I'm going to make sure that I get Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm just going to build like a 49er stack. And I might fit Debo in there. In there. Might fit Jalen Hurd real, real late in there. Um, definitely an offense, I think, to invest in this year. They were super, super efficient last year. And they had just an incredibly historic, you know, incredible defense. Um, and they, they're going to hit, they're going to get hit with regression a lot defensively. I think they traded away DeForest Buckner. They had a, this incredible uh, fourth down stop rate. Um, and, you know, those are going to turn over, t- turn into first downs for, for the opponent more often. Uh, I think their secondary might be real, real weak. They lost their um, DB's coach, Joe Woods. Uh, he went and became the, uh, the defensive coordinator for Cleveland. And um, Richard Sherman's a year older. That right cornerback position opposite him was a problem all last year. Uh, so, I think that they're going to have to throw more. They're going to be in more, you know, their, their schedule is not easy, or at least it's, it's harder than it was last year. So I think they're going to have to throw more. And if we can get that efficiency to follow the hike in volume, um, 
you know, Debo Samuel can benefit. I mean, all these guys would, would benefit immensely. Yeah, it, it's big time. And, and you know, you make a great case for Jimmy G and that extends to his number one or number two uh, option in the pass game. Debo Samuel, like you said, gets a ton of run game usage uh, relative to, you know, the average number one, number two wide receiver. Um, and we saw that be very useful for keeping Robert Woods floor high. Um, obviously, Debo Samuel is just like a playmaker. If nothing else, he's just a, a yak monster. And what he lacks in uh, route running precision, he makes up for an explosiveness and just damage with the ball in his hand. So I'm personally really excited about Debo. I, I would say I'm above consensus on him. I think I'm even above above you on him and where I have him. Uh, but Jalen Hurd, so excited to, to hear that you're still in on him because, man, what an enticing package he could be mm-hmm. in a Kyle Shanahan offense. 6'5", former running back. I mean, there's a there's a an alternate universe out there where Jalen Hurd becomes the goal line back as well as a red zone outside weapon. And the starting um, slot receiver. Yeah, in the big slot. So, so imagine man. a stat line like six catches for 70 and a touchdown and then four rushes for two yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> let's, let's fucking go. You know what I mean? Let's fucking go. <laughs> I mean, and you could probably get like the position flexibility to play him at running back yeah. or wide receiver at that point. Absolutely. So, uh, also on Debo's uh, rushing upside, Will, for the Super Bowl, weren't you talking about taking a Debo rushing prop bet and then at the last minute decide to like just deviate into a total yardage that he missed by like 10 yards when he would have absolutely smashed the yeah, rushing sure. prop? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I had about a dozen Debo props. Uh, and was parlaying a few of them. Um, I looked at my total slip and I was just like, this is getting out of hand. I need to scale this back. And I was like, I just think Debo is going to be a playmaker. Why am I getting fancy with the rushing? Like I know he gets, and then it was his first three touches were, were rushes. And he was just, I mean, he had three carries for 51 yards and then (laughs) one catch for 20. I was furious with myself, but anyway, just an exciting player. He's he's fun to watch. And honestly, the more uh, shares of the, 49ers to get this year, the more you're going to be able to watch them really good and creative football. So that's awesome. Um, all right, Evan, it's time. It's time for the two minute drill here. Um, we're going to run you through a couple of fantasy uh, bet style questions. Uh, th- these are for season long, by the way, uh, half PPR. So, you know, no, no um, premiums or anything like that. Uh, so just pick which side you want. Aaron Rodgers minus two and a half points per game versus Gardner Minshew in 2020. Oh, definitely Minshew. Definitely. Easy. I love it. Aaron Rodgers isn't a good fantasy quarterback anymore. Uh, The second one is two of the possibly highest end handcuffs uh, in the league, just straight up Alexander Madison versus Tony Pollard. Pollard, way better offense, better player. All right. And uh, wide receivers. We have Adam Thielen, minus three points per game against his former teammate and new upstate New York resident, Stefan Diggs. So that's minus three for Adam Thielen. Minus three points per game? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. starting to get into some big numbers here, but uh, yeah, I will go with Thielen. All right. Yeah, that's kind of how I think, yep. just the volume. All right. Uh, Austin Hooper, minus two points per game against his uh, replacement, Hayden Hurst. Um, Hayden Hurst. I like it. I like it. Um, who'd you rather draft right now, Debo or Will Fuller? 
I swear I have them like right next to each other. Um, I think you do on your top 150. <laughs> I think I have Debo ahead, but when I'm on the clock, uh, my, my heart longs for Will Fuller. So um, just give me 14 games, Will. Oh, I know. That, that upside is so hard to pass on. Yep, I know. So um, I don't know. Like if I'm at the turn, you know, I'm trying to get Debo and I'm trying to come back and get Will. But uh, just if I'm like in the middle, you know, I know I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to get Debo on the way, or I'm probably not going to get Fuller on the way back straight up, probably just taking Will Fuller. Last one. Uh, the uh, best tight end in the game right now, Travis Kelsey, minus five and a half points per game against the returning former best tight end in the game, Rob Gronkowski. Kelsey. Kelsey. I mean, Gronk is going to yeah. be just so, I think, TD dependent. Um, you know, he, he could score eight, 10 touchdowns, I, I suppose, but. Um, Kelsey also is due for some positive touchdown regression. He only had five TDs last year. So, um, and I mean, why couldn't he score 12 this year? Yeah, I mean, I think he probably yeah, like matched that in the postseason. All right. So wrapping up here, Evan, um, we're Bills fans, as our listeners probably know. We uh, but don't worry. We're not guilty of tribalism or blind loyalty. I know that's something you harp on uh, and it's important. And, you know, we were already talking about Bills Mafia a little bit earlier. But uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to hear, if they haven't already, about your Josh Allen take for 2020. I know the bet portion of it uh, is getting a little bit, I guess, less ideal as people are catching on and Vegas is catching on. Um, But you've been shouting this from the rooftops for months now. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're looking for a long shot MVP bets, you you start with two simple criteria. You want a guy who plays quarterback because quarterbacks are the most valuable players in the sport. 12 of the last 13 NFL MVPs have been quarterbacks and you want a quarterback who plays on a good team. And I think if you are using those criteria, you can narrow down your MVP pool to around 15 names. Josh Allen is one of those names. And then you're pulling Duke Williams and Isaiah McKenzie out of the offense. You're replacing them with Stefan Diggs, who was the best deep ball receiver in the league last year. And that is Josh Allen's biggest deficiency. Um, I, I think that Stefan Diggs, you know, like a, like a dog chasing a, a Frisbee, Uh, can go get the rock downfield. I think John Brown can do that too. And that was the most consistent year that John Brown has ever put together in his career. Um, So I think your expectation is that Allen will get elevated to some extent by Stefan Diggs. Uh, All those guys are entering their, their, uh, their second year together, John Brown, Cole Beasley. Um, I think, you know, obviously we've seen Josh Allen be really prolific as a runner. And so I think that there's a conceivable scenario where he throws 30 touchdown passes, he runs for 10, and the Bills go 12 and four. And how could Josh Allen possibly not be in the MVP discussion when his team is 12 and four? He's, you know, scoring touchdowns at a prolific rate. And I mean, I I just, you know, and he plays the most valuable position in the sport. I don't know why he wouldn't be in the MVP hunt. And I think that that in that scenario, and I, again, I think that that scenario is very reasonable. Yeah, no, hundred percent. If Josh Allen puts it together and takes a year three leap, I think what you just laid out is extremely possible. And it's just exciting. It's exciting time to be a Bills fan, exciting time to uh, be on Twitter and see all the Josh Allen takes. <laughs> the Stefan Diggs had this absurd three game stretch last year, uh, weeks, um, six through eight, he had 453 yards in three games, which was like a Vikings record. It, it outpaced like any three game stretch that Randy Moss, arguably the second best receiver of all time had. Like 
I, that's just an absurd stat to me. And I don't think that Stefan Diggs and John Brown are redundant either, which is good news because yeah, they, they have played a similar brand, but I mean, John Brown has settled into a more, uh, a more balanced role and is still more skewed towards being a deep receiver. And while Stefan Diggs excels at that, uh, that's not all he does. I mean, he was used in Minnesota as a, a, a near the line of scrimmage guy for a long time. So it's not like he can't fill uh, wear multiple hats. So um, that's good stuff. And I'm glad to hear that you're on the Bills uh, Bills wagon this year, Evan. Um, wrapping up here, who's the one guy you'd want to come away with in every draft as of right now based on where you think you can get him? This is a good question. Um, this is a good one. I think probably James Conner, maybe, mm. um, because you can consistently get him in the fourth round or early fourth round. He's, he's starting to come up a little bit, but um, well, he's in he's in the mix. I think Michael Gallup is way way underdrafted. Um, I think that Damian Williams, you know, when you can get him pretty consistently in the ninth round or so, I think that he's an excellent like RB three or RB four. Um, I like Marlon Mack even um, as like a, you know, 10th, 11th round RB four slash five. Juju is definitely uh, in that mix. Uh, I have him way, way, way above uh, consensus. And I'm pretty much always in position to draft him. Um, you know, I love taking those, still taking those bites at the apple with Chase Edmonds and, and Tony Pollard, you know, late in the draft. Even Daryl Henderson is a guy that I'll still take as my RB5. Um, and then Garoppolo is starting to be the guy at quarterback, I think. Uh, Josh Allen is expensive. I get him every once in a while, but he's, I mean, he's expensive and he should be. Uh, but Garoppolo is not expensive at all. And um, I have him quarterback 11 or quarterback 10 or something like that. And he's like quarterback, I don't know, 21 in ADP or 17, something like, you know, much, much lower than where I have him. That's a good list. Um, I'm going to have to write that one down later. <laughs> um, Evan, what's next for you and Adam over at ETR? Just preparing for the season, man, you know. Um, it's got a, a bunch of articles up at the website, doing podcasts every week and uh, looking forward to and, and hoping that there is a season. Um, but I like that that baseball, it looks like they're going to get the ball rolling now, finally. And um, that's good news. The, the bat, uh, NBA seems to have their ducks in, in a row. I was just before we were doing this, I was watching some Premier League. So it does feel like and look like sports is coming back. And hopefully we can stay on a, on a good tide and just you know, smooth right into that, uh, that NFL season and, and bang out the whole thing. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, we're obviously hoping for that. And, uh, Evan, thank you so much for your time and insight. I know, uh, you're an excellent resource for all things fantasy football. I know our listeners will get a lot of value out of this. Um, guys make sure to check out Evan on Twitter at Evan Silva and definitely consider subscribing to establish the run. Jeff and I both personally do. It's the best resource out there. You obviously get a lot of content from Evan and the whole gang over there. So thank you again. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys, for having me. To our listeners, I hope you all enjoyed. I'm your host, Will Lever, and we'll catch you next time on Contessa Catch. Contessa Catch.